You're listening to the audio-only version of the Moe Gamer podcast. Don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on YouTube. Check moegamer.net for a link to the channel. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome back to a new episode of the Moe Gamer podcast. I'm Pete Davison and I'm joined once again today by my good friend Chris Kasky. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing well, Pete. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, we've got some nice sunny days happening here in the UK at the minute, and it's not that horrible, hot, sweaty summer yet. So, uh, yeah, this is this is my kind of weather, where it's where it's nice, but it's not. It it doesn't make me want to die. No. <laughs> Springtime's lovely. I've just been listening to the Okami soundtrack and like staring at trees for the past three days. <laughs> perfect, perfect. I heard a lot of areas have been hit with blizzards recently though, so... Uh, yeah, yeah. Not, not me thankfully, but it has been a rainy mess here over the past two days, but yeah, in the in the center of the country, I think over here, there's been some, some snow, which is frankly ridiculous. I know at, at work we've had some shipping delays on account of it. Yeah. Yeah, we've we, we've had snow in April here a, a, a couple of times. Apparently, there were very bad snow drifts the year I was born. So you know, omen of things to come or something like that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, that, whatever that would be an omen of. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, no, it's it's nice here at the moment. So anyway, great. Okay, so um, as always, we're going to follow our usual three-part structure. We're going to spend a bit of time talking about the news. Probably won't be too long today because we had a, a bumper crop last time and it's not been that long since we met. Uh, then our second segment, we'll talk a bit about what we've been playing recently. And for our third segment today, it's our main topic discussion. And this time we are doing 2D mascot platformers, uh, which is a subject close to both of our hearts, I'm sure. So, all right, let's kick off with the news then. So, uh, what has caught your eye recently? Uh, just, uh, the return of Samurai Showdown is making me all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> so, uh, as we've known for a while, there is a new Samurai Showdown in development. Um, it's yep. been playable. It's very good. Um, so the first thing is we have our first images of the three new characters for the new Samurai Showdown, and they're all really, really cool. So there's three new characters, the first of which is Darley Dagger, who is a, a, a pirate character with like dreadlock hair, who has a big, uh, like a huge saw blade. It's got like a monster on her look to it, which is like a huge <laughs> thing, which is really cool. Um, I like her design a lot. Um, there is Yashimaru Kurama, uh, which is a kind of ninja kind of samurai like I, I can't quite pinpoint exactly what he's supposed to be but he's got a cool crow aesthetic which is yeah. really 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 neat has his like ninja mask has like a beak look to it and he's got the whole like tengu thing going on like he's got a kind of a cape that has a feather look to it and he's got he's very neat and we have uh wu rushang who is Definitely not a Dynasty Warriors character, but totally could be. <laughs> um, and she is uh, a in a traditional Chinese kind of garb. And she has a... Is it a gong? I think it's a gong that mm -hmm. she fights with, which is yeah. really, really cool. Because um, it's, uh, it's interesting when they introduce characters into Samurai Spirits or Samurai Showdown or whatever you want to call it, who have like... Not really non-conventional weapons, right? Because it's a, it's really a blade weapon fighting game. So it's interesting. To, I'll be really 
excited to see how kind of her moves stack up and you know i i have a feeling she'll be very counter centric or defensive in terms of yeah. the way she plays so yeah that's great so the, all those characters look really cool and we also got some super exciting news which i may be even more excited for than the new game in that uh we are getting samurai showdown neo geo collection for the ps4 xbox one switch and the pc via steam mm, so nice. this this is going to feature all six of the original games one two three four five and the enhanced version of five five special um, it is being handled by Digital Eclipse, who have a fine oh, track record yeah. of great emulation. Yes. Um, so um, I cannot wait to buy this because <laughs> <laughs> I, I love these games. Um, even ju yeah, just from a presentational standpoint, Samurai Showdown 4 and 5 are some of the most sensuous games ever made in terms of pixel art and animation. Yeah. They're, they're just exquisite. Cool. Well, uh, good to see this this series making a bit of a comeback then, and also uh, people who've not really come across it before having the opportunity to learn a bit more about it as well. This is not a series I know at all, so um, that collection's a, a sort of good opportunity to get to know its roots a bit, I guess. So yes, yeah, it's just it's just so wonderful to see SNK in a position of being productive and being in the news, and yeah, they they seem to be doing a fair fair old bit recently. So. Um... Yeah, which is which is really nice to see, especially sort of having been recently exploring some of their roots through their SNK 40th anniversary collection. Yeah, they they were they were a really creative developer that I, do, I don't think I've sort of appreciated as much as I have recently up until now. So, so sort of their their early stuff is sort of giving me a newfound appreciation for what they do. I think so. Mm -hmm. I think I, I think a lot of people these days still just sort of associate them with Neo Geo fighting games and things, but even within those, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. So. Well, yeah, I was just about to say, too, like, within the Neo Geo itself, right, like, people who aren't super educated on the Neo Geo are like, oh, it's a fighting game system. Yeah. And, like, actually, no, it's jam-packed full of everything from really clever puzzle games to a weird attempts they made at, like, first-person arcade action games, which have I've never really seen outside of the two on the Neo Geo. Like, there's all yeah. kinds of cool stuff on that system. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of it's been sort of sort of resurrected by various companies, hasn't it? So between sort of Digital Eclipse's efforts with the anniversary collection and uh, Hamster doing those arcade archives releases as well, yeah, mm -hmm. we've we've got better access to those games than I think ever before. So, which is great considering how difficult it was to get access to them when they were current. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good stuff. Uh, all right, next thing up on our list then. Uh, apparently, uh, oh, how do you pronounce this? Utawari Rumono Zan is headed westward in fall of this year for two thousand for fall of this year for PlayStation Four, I should say. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, um, Utawari Rumono is not a series I know very well, but I know that the people who like it, they really, really like it. Uh, and it's something I want to cover at some point, but I've been holding off until um, the PS4 remake of the first one comes over here, because to date, the two we've had are basically the second and third in the series. Mm, um, yeah, that's right. But they announced a while back that the, the the PS4 remake of the first one, which I can't remember if it's out in Japan already or if, it, or if it's coming out in Japan soon, that is coming west as well. Uh, Utawari Rumano Zan is a spin-off action RPG uh, to go with it as well, so... 
if you enjoy hanging out with those characters and in that world, um, which a lot of people do from the sound of things, then yeah, there'll be an opportunity to engage with that in uh, some slightly different ways. I mean, this this is of interest to me because it's uh, Aqua Plus, who I've got a lot of time for from their previous stuff that I've um, mm-hmm. I've encountered. Um, originally, it was an Eregay, but it seems more well known in its console incarnations now, uh, which obviously lack the, the the sex scenes from the original PC versions. Um, yeah, like I say, I don't know a whole lot about the setting or the story or anything like that. I just know it's a sort of very well-regarded fantasy adventure with some sort of masked protagonist and yeah, lots of interesting stuff going on. I think it's got sort of tactical RPG combat in there, but it is primarily a visual novel. So, um, yeah. yeah, so 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 there, there is tactical RPG components in there, but that's not sort of the main point of the game. So if you're going in expecting like a new Final Fantasy Tactics or something, then yeah, bear in mind there will be a lot of reading before you get to any of that. Uh, unless you're playing Zen, in which case there'll be a lot of hack and slash instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, very much in vain with like what we've seen with the new um, the the Fate those Fate spinoff yes. games. It, it's yes. it basically a, it's a Muso like, which is a term yeah. I'm going to start using more generously. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So for people like me, it's cool because obviously I really respect the the reputation of the series and i like a lot of the character design so this will be a way for me to engage with these characters in a genre i, I enjoy more yeah yeah especially because there's a cute girl who rides on top of a massive pigeon apparently and it's <laughs> super cool <laughs> i'm very excited for that yeah. business to happen yeah so that's cool uh, so looking forward to engaging with that series fully once i have access to all of it so uh, watch out for some features on that in the future i'm sure a um, couple of bits of Neptunia news. Uh, first of all, uh, Super Neptune RPG has been delayed slightly um, for its Western release. It's now coming out in summer rather than the originally anticipated spring. Um, for those who care about such things, the PS4 version has, uh, I think it said, two slightly modified CGs, but the Switch version is unaltered. So um, if that affects your purchasing decision, then so be it. I will probably be picking up the Switch version anyway just for... Just for having it on the go, um, yeah. Interested to see how this turns out. Uh, apparently, J- Japan hasn't liked it very much, but uh, I mean that doesn't necessarily mean it's not a good game uh, or anything like that. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see when it comes out, I guess. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is just like, you know, it's all speculation, obviously. But you have to wonder yeah. about how much of it is just them being like, well, this game isn't Japanese developed, so we're gonna yeah. shit on it. Like, I don't. Yeah. You, you, you can never really know. Yeah, exactly. That, that's why I want to keep an open mind with it and, and, and give it a go for myself when it comes out. And also, I've got a lot of time for Neptunia. And also, um, I've been enjoying the Neptunia series since the first installment, which everyone absolutely hated. So, you know, uh, my yeah. my opinion isn't necessarily in line with uh, with popular opinion, which is fine. Um, I'm just excited for the 2D goodness. And yeah, the fact yeah. that it's basically a Valkyrie profile yeah. fan fan game. So. <laughs> Yeah, it does look lovely. Um, and the other bit of Neptune in news is that Isaiah Factory International and uh, a developer called, called Preep, uh, who I don't think I've seen before, I don't recognise their name, they've announced that they're doing a, um, a retro-styled Neptunia shoot-em-up using the sort of 8-bit pixel art graphics that they, they often use on the world maps and things in the, uh, in the various games. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be um, a sort of bullet hell shooter with six stages, uh, with online leaderboards, um and all that sort of thing sounds like it's going to be exclusive to steam 
Um, so it doesn't look as if there's going to be a console release of this, and, and thus it will be a digital-only thing as well. But that will be a nice little uh, sort of addition to the franchise as well, and nice to do, see something a bit different happening. I remember it's probably a couple of years ago now that uh, they said they wanted to keep experimenting and doing different things with the Neptunia series. So yeah, this is just another example of them doing that. I'm excited because if this comes out and people rip the sprites, I'll be, able, I'll <laughs> yes. be finally able to make paintings of the Neptunia girls, which yes. is something I've wanted to do for a long time. Because no one seems to have ripped the map sprites from oh, that's the other shame. Neptunia games. I've been looking yeah. for them for like three years now, and I can't. Oh, that's a real shame. Yeah, I, I mean, they're, they're in a couple of art books that I've got from the limited editions, but yeah, I haven't seen digital rips of them anywhere, which is, which is a shame and presumably more what you're after. So. I mean, I could work off of scans from an art book, I guess, but it, it's just easier for me because I can blow them, you know, if I have yeah, a digital yeah. rip, I can blow it up in GIMP and impose a grid on it, and that really yeah. helps me paint easier. Yeah, yeah a bit easier to calculate proportions and so on, so. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Um, okay, you want to talk a bit about R-Type Final 2? I do, because it's so exciting. <laughs> R-Type is coming back. Um, so, uh, April 1st, there was announcements from Granzella, which is a studio in Japan that is primarily made up of old school Irem staff, mm-hmm. um, that R-Type 2, uh, R-Type Final 2 was coming back, um, and will potentially be supported with a crowdfunding effort. Yeah. Um, but it was April 1st, so I don't know if it was on purpose or they were just being tone deaf, but like, you never actually announce new games on April 1st. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the fact that it was our type final too, everyone was like, is this real? Is it an April Fool's joke? We don't know, but it's real. Uh, well, just, it is actually happening. Yeah. Um, well, just, just sort of the tone of the announcement almost made it, made it sound like it was a joke as well. They were, they were sort of deliberately playing up the, Ooh, are we telling the truth here or are we not? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. yeah, but yes, it's real. That's that's very exciting. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know to what extent or to and what platform the crowdfunding campaign will happen on. Um, hopefully, it involves a buy-in for a physical copy, mm-hmm. um, which has kind of become standard for these kind of big name uh, crowdfunding efforts. But yeah. It's real. It's happening. Um, I believe they said it's going to include every ship from every R-Type as playable um, as part of the plan. Uh, the big deal with the game, and one of the reasons this came about, uh, is because the head of Grenzella, Kazumo Kujo, um, believed that in prior years there wasn't really a reason to return to R-Type. Yeah. But with the new advancements of consoles and most importantly the advent of widescreen, he felt like there's finally a reason to revisit the franchise and we they can show something new and fresh using kind of 4K widescreen and make you know like a crazy presentation with it. So yeah. this is going to be you know pr- in, our, in our previous two episodes ago we talked about kind of horizontal shooters and i made an effort to avoid our type because i think our type merits its own episode mm-hmm. based on its legacy but i mean this is going to be horizontal shooting nirvana yeah like <laughs> like if it turns out well i mean it's hard to imagine a better treat than 4k widescreen brand new r type <laughs> with a massive roster of ships to play with yeah these these screenshots or, or mock-ups that they've done so far look lovely as well they're sort of chaos on screen as things exploding into chunks and lightning flying everywhere yeah it just looks like it or yeah if they if they if they pull it off it'll be absolutely spectacular and 
yeah, fantastic. Very much on board with that. R-Type, I must confess, I haven't really played very much of R-Type over the years. Um, it's a series that I've always sort of uh, kind of seen from afar. Like, I remember sort of uh, back in the 16-bit home computer and later into the SNES era and so on, I, I always sort of saw R-Type reviewed and people being enthusiastic about it and people being particularly enthusiastic about the PC Engine version. Um, but, um, yeah, I... I haven't played it very much over the years. I think I have a copy of R-Type Final on my shelf somewhere, but I haven't really explored it. Just mm. this, might, this might be a, a good reason to do so, for sure. So. Yeah, it's a great game. Well, be prepared to curse a lot. As I, yes. My, 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 joke, my joke used to always be that Dark Souls is the R-Type of action RPGs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, the same is true for any shoot 'em up, really, isn't it? It's like it's like people say Dark Souls is hard. It's like, have you never played a shoot 'em up? Like, yeah, seriously, yeah, seriously. But but our type, <laughs> but our type um, has like che- a checkpoint system. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's particularly nasty because you don't just <laughs> die and then your ship doesn't just spawn right there. It's like yeah. there's one like you know halfway checkpoint. Otherwise, it's back to the beginning of the stage. Oh, you no. know. <laughs> you, you know how that you know how that works. You e- uh, you either memorize or you don't proceed with R type. It's yes. it's particularly rough. Yes. All right. Uh, moving on. Um, we've got a story here about the former Tales of producer Hideo Baba has left Square Enix and Studio Estolia. Um, so he left Square Enix back in March um, and stepped down from Studio Estolia present president in December of two thousand and eighteen. Um, he apparently sort of attributes this to the change in Studio Estolia's management policies uh, and said that he's making way for the new generation of talent um, and that he's going to continue supporting from the sidelines, whatever that means. So, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so kind of hard to determine if there's any sort of bad blood there. But, um, yeah, it, it, interesting to, to, to see what he'll be up to next then. Yeah, I mean, I'm also just... Uh... Besides, obviously, being a fan of Baba's work and wanting to know what he does next, this game he was working on there looked so cool. So uh, hopefully it continues to be led well without him there, I guess. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, part of the reason I was excited for this Project Prelude Rune was his involvement, right? Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see how much that involvement from the sidelines actually is. So... All right, uh, continuing on, uh, Senra Kagura Peach Ball is getting a physical and digital release um, in North America anyway. I believe Europe is only getting a eShop release from the sound of things. Yeah. Uh, but with the Switch being region-free, you can easily import a copy. Although the um, physical copy is going to be fairly limited in quantity from the sound of things. Yeah, it's going to be exclusive to Xseed's shop, I believe. Yeah. They're, they're launching an online shop, and, and they I think they're probably going to start doing that more often yeah 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 that, that makes sense i mean we've seen we've seen companies that access doing that as well so, so some of these sort of smaller localizers and publishers doing their own store seems to be a thing that's working out for quite a few of them as well I'd like i know marvelous's store over here in europe uh, does quite well they sell a lot of exceed stuff uh, as well as um things like senran kagura valkyrie drive corpse party and that sort of stuff as well so and they do some i nice, love it yeah and they do some nice me- limited editions as well and they, they tend to be sort of on the affordable side as well which is nice so i've picked up a fair few of those over the over the course of the last few um last few years 
it just seems like a great way to support these people directly to yeah, buy definitely. to buy to buy from their shop you know i mean why well, buy from i mean i buy a lot from like best buy and amazon obviously but if i'm going to pay the same price i might as well acquire it from the people who make it to ensure that they get the largest cut of the profit it just, it just, it just makes sense from the perspective of someone who likes to support creators yeah, and content exactly. generators yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I will probably try and import a physical copy of this because um, I think I've got all of the Senran Kagura's on uh, physical now, uh, having got mm. the limited run Bon Appetit as well. So, yeah, it'll be a shame not to not to get a physical version of this as well. I I know some people have been sort of criticising it for being a, a bit expensive, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to support this series. It's It looks like a really fun game, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting it. I I love virtual pinball. I, yes. I think I think we're due for a virtual pinball episode at some point. Yes, definitely. Oh, Flipnik. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fl- 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 so I think we're due for a Flipnik episode followed by a virtual pinball episode. Flipnik is some transcendent shit. Oh God! Yeah. A drop of silver descends to the stage. All right. Um, you want to talk a multiple? Yeah. Oh god, I, I love the like VHS overlays in that game. It's so good. But let's <laughs> let, let's let's save that for save that for for the the episode because uh, yeah. there is so much to talk about. Um, tell me a bit about Project Eve and why you're excited. Yeah. For that. So I don't know a whole heck of a lot about Project Eve, but uh, just in general, from a historical perspective, um, mm-hmm. I really like the Korean development scene. Yeah. I think it's really interesting to watch kind of what comes out of there because it's it's often kind of flavored by japanese design sensibilities Mm. but but always very unique yeah um actually if you're inclined to do so there's a really cool historical retrospective on uh, hardcore gaming 101 about the korean dev scene that's worth a read um but um i first became interested in the korean development scene because i played magna carta back on the ps2 which yes. was a really interesting uh rpg uh, you know jrpg style game but it had a really unique um a really unique combat system that felt like it was kind of tinged also by kind of Baldur's gatey western rpgs but it had a it had a bit of action in it with a combo system and mm. it was just i'd never played a game like it and and even the sequel to it was a bit different. So the original Magna Carta is still a very cool game from a design perspective because it's very unique. Yeah. Um, so the main artist of the Magna Carta series, Hyungte Kim, uh, has really become one of my favorite artists in the world, like period. His work is really just beautiful and rich in detail. Um, and so he is working on this new game, Project Eve, which apparently is inspired by uh, a combination of Nier Automata and God of War. Um, so just uh, action RPG with some big fields, and there appears to be a you know a ruined world aesthetic and some technology stuff going on. Uh, it's going to be a single player game uh, based on using the Unreal Engine Four. Um, and it's just looking pretty. <laughs> I don't yeah. know, you know, uh, the Hyungte Kim's really just known for just these otherworldly beautiful women that he draws. Yeah. Um, just ephemeral porcelain faces with hair and yeah. So I just watched the trailer. It's there's shiny bits everywhere and <laughs> it re- you really can feel the near inspiration. Oh um, yeah, definitely. 
yeah, yeah so i just think it's something worth keeping an eye out for yeah definitely it looks it looks really lovely and like if the, if those character models are representative of sort of what we can expect from the game then yeah that's that's go- absolutely gorgeous loads of detail loads of shiny bits as you say and um one hell of an ass as well <laughs> yeah, yeah celebrate <laughs> celebrate the butt <laughs> which i guess is another inspiration from near um yeah <laughs> that was always uh that that's another like we talked about beak fucker back back in the <laughs> back in our horizontal shooter episode. Celebrate the butt is another one of me and my friends' famous catchphrases for games, and that that didn't come about from female butts. Uh-huh. That that came about from Hideo Kojima's penchant for really just rendering the hell out of snakes' butt in yep. modern Metal Gear games. Yep, I can understand that. Was, that was that was always whenever a new Kojima game came out. It was always <laughs> Kojima celebrates the butt. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, this game cele- also celebrates the butt. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. Continuing on. Um, one thing that caught my eye. Uh, this was another thing that was actually announced on April Fool's Day. Um, but it's it's real. Um, Just USA, the visual novel um, publisher and localizer have uh, launched a site called their Just USA Classics, their classic game archive. Uh, and they've partnered with a site called the uh, Asaheim Project, who for the last few years have been uh, taking a bunch of um, late 90s visual novels for PC and related platforms like PC98 and so on, uh, and making them run in your web browser. Because these these games are an absolute bastard to get running on modern OSs. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, having them in a means that anyone can enjoy them without having to faff around with um, changing system locales and uh, changing their system to 256 color graphics and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So, um, what they've done is they've they've taken some of the Asaheim Project's uh, previous work on some of their games and they're hosting it on the Just USA store now as well. So currently um, you can play Season of the Sakura, uh, Runaway City, or just those two at the minute, uh, but coming soon uh, they've also got Transfer Student, Three Sisters Story, May Club and Nocturnal Illusion. Um, I haven't played all of those. I played Three Sisters Story. That's that's quite an interesting one. Um, the striking thing about that one is you have the opportunity to have sex with all of the main characters, but you get the bad ending if you do that. So you have to kind of control yourself a bit. Um, <laughs> as in as in life. Much as in life, yes. Um, May Club's supposed to be an interesting one. That's sort of all to do with like virtual reality and um, sort of uh, full dive experiences and that sort of thing. But I haven't, I haven't played that one, but I know that's very well regarded. Uh, Nocturnal Illusion I have played extensively that's very good that's a really interesting um, kind of I don't know if I want to call it horror but it's I guess it is sort of sort of psychological horror almost Um, it's all to do with um, people who have kind of um, wandered off the path their life is supposed to be taking and they all end up in this mansion um, and the main character is is positioned as this uh, this wind of change who sort of comes into all the other characters' lives and not necessarily through having a direct influence on them, but ju- but just by sort of making them think about different things, they end up sort of pushing their life in different directions and coming to terms with past trauma and that sort of thing. So that that's a really really interesting uh, visual novel um, with some a few fairly fairly. Um, 
graphic scenes in there um you have to you have to bear in mind that sort of the late 90s visual novel they seem to be a lot more willing to go a lot more graphic than uh some of the stuff we get today um i mean i i, I know there's exceptions to that there's things like euphoria and stuff which is sort of very heavy on the on the the, the torture side of things and that sort of thing but nocturnal illusion is a game that's sort of doesn't emphasize that side of things but occasionally you just get a surprising scene that is a bit more in your face than you might be expecting but it's it, it kind of works within the context of the story it's um yeah very very much a, a story for adults um so yeah it's it, <laughs> so yeah and not just because of the bonking but um yeah this this is this is great to see these games getting archived um yeah it'd be nice if there was some sort of downloadable way of getting at them but i guess sort of web-based is kind of the next best thing for now and as i say it completely gets around uh having to to work hard to uh to get them running on modern systems and just usa mm. store actually has a lot of their older stuff as well that's been updated to run on modern systems as well so this is just the stuff that is kind of too old for that to be practical um, so hopefully there's going to be some more stuff along this uh, soon. Um, the Asaheim Project has got a bunch of stuff on their site as well. Um, I can't remember if I've talked about True Love on this podcast before, but um, True Love is a great dating sim. One of the few actual dating sims with stats that got localized. Oh, um, I love and, that. And you can play that on uh, Asaheim Project. That was uh, very much a favorite of mine uh, throughout university. It was uh, a whole bunch of us were all playing and comparing stories and, and that sort of thing and trying to get the secret cat girl and, and so on. <laughs> <laughs> As in life. Indeed. <laughs> All right. I don't know anything about these games or anything about this stuff, but I do know that I love me some 1997-era anime girl style. Oh, it's, it's, so, it's beautiful, so I'm, particularly in that sort of PC-98, 256-colored oh, dithered style, it's just beautiful. I'm just looking at the this cover image for Nocturnal Illusion again, like four days after you first sent me this <laughs> link, and I can't. I can't handle this girl with the purple hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Oh. Ugh. Oh. Anyway, All right, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> Sega Ages rolling yes. along. Uh, Sega Ages, which has continuously been a wonderful treat, it, uh, announced during the Sega FES 2019 six new games coming to their lineup, including the original Shinobi, mm-hmm. um, Wonder Boy and Monster Land, which is the first Wonder Boy. Yep. Fantasy Zone, which mm-hmm. speaks for itself. Ichidan R, which is. Um, a sister title to um, uh, kind of Bonanza Brothers and... Um, yeah, it's a sequel to uh, Tantar, isn't it? Yeah, yes, and Tantar, yeah. which is basically just a bizarre puzzle action minigame collection. Tantar's um, fantastic. I love it. I, 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 know, I remember it for the first that. time on the that PS2 Sega Ages collection. It's, yeah, it's a fantastic game. If you ever played something like Point Blank by Namco, it's like that, but rather than using a light gun, you just sort of... Um, you just sort of using the controller to do various things but it's it's great fun both by yourself and especially in two-player mm-hmm yeah uh g-lock yes which i know you'll be excited about yes um although how much fun that's going to be outside of it's like rolly tumbly arcade cabinet kind of remains to be seen oh i've still got um, plenty of time for g-lock even with even yeah. without the 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 rotating thing i can just move around in my chair if i need to <laughs> and i think at least to me um most importantly, from a her- historical preservation and accessibility perspective, Herzog's Y. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Herzog's Fly is considered by many to be the first real-time strategy game. Yeah. Or one, or one of which. Um, and it is developed by Technosoft, the same people behind Thunder Force. And if you listen to our Horizontal Shooter podcast, you will know how much we love Thunder Force. Um, Herzog's Fly is a beautiful game that takes place from an overhead perspective where you play as a giant robot that can transform into a plane and you zip around the battlefield and command your little bases um it's it can it's head on head that you can do competitive two-player um it's delightful and it's one of those games that's very highly sought after for genesis and mega drive collectors um it's very difficult to find a copy for a reasonable price so this is this is huge news that this game is going to be acceptable uh accessible and affordable Mm -hmm. yeah that's great so yeah, looking forward to all of these actually because these these are all all things that I'm interested in to to varying degrees. Um, they don't seem to have release dates yet, but they have confirmed they're all coming west, including the ones that have previously been Japanese only, which is great news. So mm-hmm. very up for um, yeah, definitely give, interested in giving uh, Ichidantara a go because I, I like I say I really like Tantar G Lock. I've talked about how much I love in the past. Herzog's Fi is one that I'm I haven't played or am familiar with at all so i'm going to be very interested to give that a shot and and see what it's like so yeah yeah i'm interested in all of them let's let's, let's put it that way (laughs) most excitedly too the herzog's fly is going to have online multiplayer oh cool (laughs) which is great yeah yeah well definitely well up for that then good news all right anything else you want to talk about uh, no, I think that is it for me. Good stuff. All right, let's take a short break then, and we will come back and we'll talk a bit about what we've been playing recently. So we'll see you in a moment. The game, G-Lock. The system, Game Gear. Choose your weapon, charge your course, and listen carefully. It's time to prove yourself. Introducing the full-color portable video game system for people who like to fly. Game Gear from Sega. Welcome back. For our second segment, we're going to talk about what we've been playing recently. So, what have you been playing recently, Chris? I have been playing Iconoclasts. Ah, yes. Which yes, is... You've been looking forward to this. Yes, for years, as a, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so I finally got my limited run physical copy of Joachim Sandberg's Iconoclasts, which is, uh, as we just said, a game I've been looking forward to for a long time. Um, Sandberg is a really talented developer, uh, perhaps best known for the Noi to Love series, which is two <laughs> delightful independent games that uh, have a very almost treasure-like feel to them. Just, just just great action, hectic boss battles, and just beautiful art direction. Um, so Iconoclast is something he had been working on for a long time solo, um, and interviews with him reveal much to his detriment to the point where I, I, he pretty much never wants to do it again. It, like This game almost <laughs> killed him. Um, yeah. It is... Uh, uh, I don't want to use the term necessarily that it's a kind of open-ended platformer uh it it has open structure platformer elements to it um Mm -hmm. but it's very much uh, contained levels it almost feels a bit like uh shantae and the pirate's curse okay Um, yeah yeah. except for it doesn't have a hub so it's literally like 
it's basically like series of large maps. Yeah. Um, oh, that's cool. I like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So every level is a contained level with larger maps that you can explore in in the open structure platformer style, but it's yeah. not. Um, the world is not interconnected. Um, now mm -hmm. I have discovered kind of evidence that I think I'll be able to return to previous levels because I've, I've encountered things that I clearly don't have the tools to interact with yet, but yeah. I, I don't know at what point in the game I'll be able to do that. So I can't really uh -huh. speak to how cyclical or how open it is and, and in what way you get to return to previous stages because I haven't haven't gotten that far. Um, yeah. what, what I will say is it's just great. <laughs> I mean, first of all, it's, it's drop-dead gorgeous. Uh, some of the best pixel art anyone has ever produced in in the history of ever um it's just drop drop dead gorgeous um you play as this silent protagonist who is a mechanic uh in a world that's controlled by um what appears to be uh, this kind of religious dogmatic governmental hybrid right where so people's lives are rigidly controlled um and people's jobs and are kind of assigned and rigidly controlled by this governmental body. So, like mm. the f the fact that you are a mechanic doing mechanic stuff is technically not legal. Like so, you you're is in helping people and using tools, which is all forbidden. Um, so there's this element of you being a criminal, and these people are after you, and um, you're getting at the point I'm at in the game now. I've kind of gotten involved with some kind of resistance movement. Um, so the the narrative is really strong, and the character development's really interesting. Um, it's just very, very unique um, and and competently yeah. made. The action feels very tight, um, just like in Noitu Love Two. The the boss battles are real highlights, um, and the the nature of the game is such that. The combat isn't really the focus. Um, really, mm -hmm. what Sandberg's done has built um, puzzles are, are, are the, really the main thrust of the game, right? You're a mechanic. You're not a soldier. Um, so every single room you walk into almost it has some kind of environmental puzzle that you need to learn how to navigate by manipulating different switches and... Um, most of the enemies have a puzzle-like element to how you defeat them. It's not really just, it's not usually just yeah. a matter of like mashing on your attack button. Um, and the clockwork nature of some of these puzzles is really just astounding uh, how these whole levels fit together. I mean, when I had read the interviews uh, with the creator in a lot of different venues, I, I thought he was talking about how the game had killed him just strictly from this rich pixel art aesthetic he had built, but I, I feel like the amount of brain power that went into constructing these challenges that he's put in here are probably also contributed greatly to his uh, his fatigue yeah. because it's 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 really something special, and that extends to the bosses as well. Um, uh, one of the ways to describe this game that kind of popped into my head the other night was it feels like Zelda extrapolated onto a 2D plane. Because oh, just cool. like in Zelda, yeah. the combat isn't really the focus. And, and there yeah. is combat, but you have to understand your tools to know which tools to use against which enemies. Um, and the real focus is, of course, the puzzle solving in the dungeons using those tools. And that's pretty much exactly what Iconoclast is, but it just happens to be a 2D side-scroller. Yeah. 
So, yeah, it's no, been cool. an absolute yeah. pleasure. Cool. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad it's lived up to expectation because I, I know you've been waiting for this for a really long time. So it's uh, it's great to hear that it's it's sort of lived up to what you were hoping mm -hmm. for. For sure. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, what have I been up to recently? Well, I've had two weeks off work. So I've been spending a lot of my time uh, recording a whole bunch of videos to sort of get myself ahead of schedule and you know, give myself a bit of time to... Um, uh to to write more articles and play more games ready to to write about them um i, I wanted to pick out a couple of highlights of some of the atari st games i've been playing recently mm. actually um because they they've kind of struck me uh, a bit one of those is one that i've just put up a video for which is uh castle master uh this is um a game from a company called incentive software who were one of the first companies to create a proprietary 3d engine that was uh, kind of portable and could be moved between systems and so on so this this was a, a field polygon 3d engine that could run on everything from the zx spectrum up to um st amiga and uh, ms dos pc so it was a pretty impressive achievement really obviously there were some limitations on it on the 8-bit platform so like for example i think you could only turn in units of five degrees or something on those ones or something mm. like that but um yeah, Castle Master is the one of the last games that they produced using that engine for the 16-bit platforms, and um, yeah, it's it's definitely one of the best ones. It's uh, the the concept is that you play either a prince or a princess, um, your, your twins, and at the start of the game, uh, the character you didn't pick gets uh, kidnapped and locked in one of the towers of this castle and, and then you have to get into the castle figure out how to get into this well figure out where your twin is for starters and then get into the castle and solve a bunch of puzzles to get in there so freescape games are very early examples of um basically first person puzzlers okay um so ra rather than first person action games or shooters there, there are some action components but um yeah they're first person puzzlers primarily they're all about figuring out how to navigate the environment figuring out how areas relate to one another and uh sort of being aware of things in the environment it's it's very fond like of, a mist kind of thing uh, like that like that sort of no not really because so it's it's not about sort of inventory management and and manipulation oh, okay. it's more about exploration and uh sort of sort of poking your head into all the nooks and crannies in a room and see if you find anything um okay. yeah so 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 it's it's a bit less sedate than than mist is um and and it's it's more more about active exploration and curiosity and that sort of thing so um good examples are there's um there's like um a cathedral you get into at one point it's like it's like a, a cathedral within the castle grounds that you can go into and you can look around it and uh you, you can find a couple of things but it, it seems like there's nothing that's directly relevant to your quest there until you sort of get right up against the back wall and you realize that one of the walls is actually a false one um that you you can't see from the front because it's the same color but if you look at it from the side you'll see there's a bit sticking out that you can squeeze into and there's a doorway behind it so you have to really sort of uh, sort of look at look at the rooms from every possible angle to find the different ways you can go and the objects that are useful to you so it's mostly about collecting keys uh to get into various ways but the the way the means through which you acquire these keys is uh quite convoluted in some ways like there's one stuck on the bottom of a horse for example and, and um some sort of hanging over perilous pits and all manner of things like that yeah and it's, and it's just a, just a really interesting example of um 
almost almost the genesis of of um, the first person puzzle genre that ended up with uh, stuff like Portal and and that kind of thing. So yeah fascinating game to go back to um the second one uh that kind of really jumped out to me was um f15 strike eagle 2 um Ooh. which uh is a, an old microprose flight sim um i haven't really played a traditional flight sim for a very long time now it's like so i've, I've played ace combat games but those are very much their own distinctive sort of thing they have more sort of arcadey tendencies there are sim elements to them there's a certain amount of realism to how the planes in ace combat fly and and how you control them um but playing something that was actually a dedicated flight sim for the first time in probably about 20 or 30 years at this point it was was a very interesting experience and i, I really enjoyed it um so f15 strike eagle 2 was um a a game that came out six years after its predecessor and its predecessor was one of the first uh, jet fighter simulators on home computers so it came out for 8-bit platforms and then later for 16-bit ones and um yeah just just the the jump in quality in those six years is is astounding really so the the first f15 strike eagle is very primitive indeed so there's no ground detail at all it's just a sort of grid pattern that you fly over whereas in the second one you've got sort of these um properly mapped out areas of various theaters around the world so you can go to libya the middle east vietnam all, all sorts of places like that um but it's it's done in such a way that it was very accessible to play as well so it it, it was complex but it wasn't dauntingly so and it wouldn't punish you for um sort of not really understanding things it had four different difficulty levels that affected both how the plane handled and how aggressive the enemies were and yeah it's just been a, a a real pleasure to revisit a kind of game that we don't really have anymore so yeah i enjoyed that a lot hmm. so um i got one more thing i want to talk about but uh, i'll give you the opportunity to jump in with anything else if, if you've been playing anything else first of all uh not to a large degree but one thing i will mention is that i've fallen back deeply in love with pac-man dx oh yes lovely game um it's just i've been playing it in the mornings before work right because mm -hmm. you do the 10 minute time trials yeah, yeah. it's just perfect for decompressing and uh god i forgot how perfect that game is <laughs> <laughs> uh it's like uh pac-man dx right it's pac-man but it's like new generation pac-man with a heavy emphasis on speed and just amassing massive score combos and everything's beautifully presented with great music um and when i, I remember first buying it and like all right well what is this just prettier pac-man yeah, right yeah. And I, like i had no idea the extent to which it was almost a totally different game mm -hmm. with all the new mechanics um, specifically just the pleasure of running by the sleepy ghosts and waking them <laughs> up and like the, the delicious little sound effect that plays when you wake up the sleepy ghosts and then you get that massive chain following yeah. you and then the challenge it, gradually increasing as you realize that it's you're also playing a game of snake because you can't run into the, uh, the <laughs> chain of sleepy ghosts you have behind you which is something I fail to do very often in the spiral map I run into myself my own chain of sleepy ghosts all the time yeah. Um, and then the sheer joy of acquiring that power pellet turning around and eating the entire chain of like 30 ghosts behind you and watching that score just <laughs> like rocket to like high heaven while the ridiculous like techno music is playing in the background and like cherries are throbbing in the corner and it's such a sensory overload mm. oh i love yeah, it yeah i i love that game as well um 
Have you have you played the? Well, there's, there's actually been three Pac-Man Championship Edition games now, haven't there? I I can never remember the difference between them. So like, I I think the one I've played the most recently is Pac-Man Championship Edition Two, which uses the okay. which uses the Ghost Train mechanic from DX, which is the one you're talking about. Um, yeah, I can never remember how, how the original one works as well, but I remember that being cool as well. But yeah, all all three of those games are just fantastic reimaginings of Pac-Man. Yeah, wonderful music. I'm playing lovely DX Plus. Yes, th- on the PS3. Yes, that was that was that was DX with a few additional maps. I think, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, th- those are all worth playing. That was that was a really lovely period for Namco when they were putting those games out because they did um, they gave Gallagher a similar treatment as well, didn't they? They did a Gallagher. Yes, DX. I have that. I have that too. Yeah. I don't really understand that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really trying to, but I don't have nearly as much fun of it as I do Pac-Man. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, a big fan of those. Championship Edition Two is is cool as well. Like I say, um, and th- that's available on Switch as well. So that's a great one to have. Uh, mm. downloaded on there for, for just a quick play session when you feel like it and um, it's also available physically in that combo pack with the Namco Museum for Switch as well so oh that's right I should get mm, that yeah that's, a, that's why, a, why don't I have that yeah that's a really lovely compilation so if you if you haven't got that already that's definitely a, a worthy addition to a, a Switch collection okay good stuff right um, the last thing I want to talk about um, I've only j- just started revisiting um but I have played played a little bit previously. Uh, those of you who have been reading uh, Mario Gamer recently uh, will have seen that my plan for the immediate future is rather than starting something new, I want to go back and finish uh, something that I previously worked on, which was uh, an extensive feature on the Sonic the Hedgehog series. Um, yes. So um, back when I was doing that and around the time that we were podcasting about Sonic the Hedgehog as well, um, I, I got a, a, as far as Sonic Unleashed on the Wii, which I had a lot of fun with. Um, but there were a bunch of games left uh, that I really wanted to cover, including Sonic Mania, the most recent one, which was kind of the whole reason mm. I started the feature in the first place and never got around to it. Um, yeah, so I, I'm going to finish off those games that I haven't played. So specifically, I'm going to cover uh, Sonic Colors, Sonic Lost World, Sonic Forces, and Sonic Mania. Um, I know there's a, there's a couple of other things I could slot in there as well, but those are those are the ones. Yeah, that... Generations. Oh right? yes, Generations as well. But you yeah. should check out Generations. Yes, too. yes, that was on my list as well. So yeah, so 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 those five games I'm going to be looking at uh, before I move on to to something new, just to kind of. Kind of finish the feature off. Um, and what I've been playing this week is I've been playing Sonic Colors, which is oh so yes. good, so good. Um, yeah, so good. In fact, that I would say that anyone who says that 3D Sonic is bad has clearly not played Sonic Colors because Sonic Colors is just no. such a joyful game. It is magnificent. It's yeah, it's it, it it's just filled with joy. It's everything we said that we liked about Sonic is there in Sonic Colors. So you've got. You've got the speed, you've got snappy control, you've got interesting uh, platforming mechanics, you've got a, a mix of different styles of stages, so some are exploration-based, some are just about speed. You've got an incredible soundtrack, su- such good music in that game. Um, and it's, yeah, considering it's a, it's, a, it's a Wii game as well, it's absolutely beautifully presented. So it's definitely one of the best-looking games I've seen on the Wii. Um, I'm only a relatively short distance into it so far, I think I've unlock the first three zones so far um but yeah in in traditional sonic style those are all um very different to one another so you start in uh this um they call it the tropical resort zone the the whole theme of it is that you're you're visiting this this big theme park that eggman has built uh which he 
points out in an early cutscene that it absolutely has nothing to do with any sort of nefarious plot or anything like that. It's just there. He's just built it to, to atone for his past sins, and there's nothing, nothing dodgy going on whatsoever. Um, I believe this. <laughs> I believe that. I believe this man. Yes, he has a track record of trustworthy behavior. Yeah. Um, yeah so you start in this in this tropical resort zone, which is sort of. Um, uh, what you expect from sort of a, a theme park main street so there's sort of like lovely palm trees and stuff and neon signs and all sorts and there's a land that's sort of themed around cake uh but it's also it also combines the the cake side of things uh with uh, sort of sort of heavy machinery and giant missiles being fired at you so it's a really weird mix of things um <laughs> uh and then there's the um, I think it's called Starlight Carnival, which is uh, sort of your uh, your typical Sonic roller coaster level uh, in space. Uh, okay. In space, obviously. Uh, uh, it, if you've played um, Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing Transformed, um, the yes. sort of later Sega themed levels are kind of based on this. The ones where you're sort of floating around in space and so on, they're based on on this zone in Sonic Colors. Uh, so they, they oh, have cool. the same music and sort of lots of stuff floating in the background and. Um, this sort of neon ribbon that you're running along and sort of weaving in and out of spaceships and all sorts of yeah it's it's, it's just fantastic it, it really is and um yeah this one in particular um they've really nailed the the sort of writing and humor so sort of like the 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 cut scenes in this day they, they are genuinely amusing just just some there's yeah. some really witty dialogue in there like um like just the way that sonic and eggman interact with one another it, there's, there's, there's a wonderful scene earlier on where Eggman is just going, this time no one will stop me. And Sonic just turns up and says, who are you calling nothing? And then he has to explain himself to, to the two robots who are quite stupid. And he's like, oh, good. I'm, I, I thought no one was going to get that. And <laughs> so there's, there's, a lot, yeah. there's a lot of sort of sidelong glances to the camera and stuff, but it's, it, it's, it's done in a way that you just sort of feel really included in the humor and stuff. And it's just, yeah. Oh. You'll find that holds for the whole Colors trilogy. Yeah. Um, they really, um, you, they really kind of found their stride mm. with hit with hitting that self self aware method of all right. Everyone playing these games loves Sonic, knows Sonic. Let's give them something. Yeah. Like let's stop approaching this as if people have never played Sonic before. <laughs> like it's it's really really nice. Um, you know, I've, I've mentioned Lost World many times on many different episodes, but I'm really excited for you to get to yes. that one because it's it. Yeah, I mean, it's very much the I, same. I've, I've played the first couple of levels of that when uh, back when we did the Sonic episode, and I, I needed to record some footage for it. And I, I absolutely love what I played of that. So yeah, definitely looking forward to get onto that one. Uh, in the meantime, Sonic Colors, I'm having a lot of fun with. A uh, lot of replayability there because as you unlock the different color abilities with the various sprites, you can go back to levels, and there's tons of alternative routes and secrets and stuff you can find in an attempt to sort of get the mm -hmm. higher scores and the the better times and stuff. So yeah very addictive forces is that way as yeah. well which i'm finding I, i've been i forces i've been playing for like months just every now and then i chip a level or two mm -hmm. away at it and that's got a very similar structure right because uh forces introduced uh guns yeah. to the mix i mean not guns in the same way that shadow the hedgehog had guns mm -hmm. but like you get so like the the wisps from colors have been turned into this like technology right so each wisp has a gun, and then each gun imparts a different navigational focused ability to it. Okay, but but you don't you have to unlock them as you play. Yeah. Um, and but even the earliest levels have 
um, switches and stuff for the guns you don't have yet. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's the same. It's the same in color. So sort of the very first yeah. level, you'll see parts that um, you, you sort of see colored uh, colored silhouettes of um, wisps that you haven't unlocked yet, and so you, it's just a signal that you'll need to come back to that level later to find all the stuff that's in there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so really enjoying that so far. So that that will be the first one I write about. Um, exactly when that will be will depend on how quickly I get through it. But um, yeah, hoping to sort of get those get those five games I mentioned done over the course of the next few weeks or so because I've I've been meaning to get to them for ages, but just haven't really had time to with the other stuff I've been wanting to cover. But uh, now seems like a good time to do that, especially after sure. after sort of two fairly heavy going games. Four two eight Shibuya Scramble and Death End Request were both quite heavy. It'll be nice to have something light hearted for a bit, and uh, I can sort. Of yeah, I can need, I can find my happiness again. <laughs> yeah, you need you need some you need some Amy in your life for a couple, for a couple weeks. Uh, good stuff. Bright bright colors. Nobody dying. Yeah. Yes, sounds good to me. Uh, Although forces gets dark. Yes, so so, so I hear. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're for an interesting like Sonic's dead. <laughs> like, what are we gonna do for like the first hour or two of forces? Like. Hey, I, it's crazy. I played through Sonic 2006's true ending. I know dark. I, oh, I yeah. know dark Sonic. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, all right. Anyway, uh, good um, stuff. anything else you want Sonic. to bring up before we move on? No, no. I think that's cool. I, I've honestly, I've been knee deep in working on art stuff. I have not really. I'm ashamed at how few games I've played <laughs> in the past two weeks. It's it's fine. The stuff you've been playing is thoroughly respectable, so I'm I'm sure no one will judge you harshly for that. Wow. When you've when you've only got limited time, you've got to focus in on only the best. Right? Indeed, indeed. All right, let's take a short break there then, and we will come back with our main topic for today. So, see you in a moment. Welcome back. For our main topic today, we fancied something a little bit lighter, so we thought we'd talk a bit about 2D mascot platformers. So, um, what brought this on, Chris? Well, um, I specifically, I want to talk about 2D mascot platformers that need to be said that are not Sonic and Mario. Right? Yes. Are the, the aren't yes. the big ones. Um, I just think in terms of... Um, similar vein to when we talked about 3D mascot platformers a couple episodes back. Mm -hmm. There's a really big thrust in the games community and Twitter and all the ugly, ugly places to just shit, to just shit all over the 16, 8 and 16 bit air of like 2D mascot platformers. Like, just because it wasn't, like everything that wasn't Sonic and Mario was me too, me too. And like, this pervading idea that there's no interesting design ideas going on in this sphere. And it's true, there was some rubbish. Mm-hmm. But it's simply not not a true across the board, and there were lots of interesting games, lots of interesting concepts. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, like of course there was Bubsy and Awesome Possum, and like all like the go to meme things to make fun of. But yeah, I just thought it might be fun to talk about some stuff from that era that has struck us as really, really good, um, and and mm. had impa- impacted us in the way we think about game design. Um, specifically on a 2D plane. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and I, and I wanted specifically to talk to you about it because, um, whenever we have these kind of historical retrospective discussions, I, I learn so much from you because of, um, our backgrounds are so different. Me having grown yeah. up as a console kid, you having grown up in this, the, the in a, a personal computer rich environment. Um, I don't have any knowledge. So whenever you come at me talking about the ZX Spectrum and the Atari ST and all this stuff, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, I, I learned so much. So I can't wait to learn about what some of your favorites from the era are. And I, I can't wait to ramble about Rocket Knight Adventures for 15 minutes. And <laughs> yeah. So that's why I wanted to talk about it. Cool. Well, oh, hard, hard to know where to start, really. Um, so I think... I, I think I'll start with with some of the earlier stuff then, um, because I think my first encounters with sort of the idea of, of mascot platformers would have been on the 16-bit home computers. Sure. Um, because I, I was playing games on the Atari 8-bit and the Atari ST uh, bef- long before I got into console. So, so I my my brother at the time was uh when he left home he was working on a games magazine and would occasionally bring home consoles for us to have a fiddle around with but i didn't own my own super nes until relatively late i forget what year it was but it was it was relatively late so uh most most of this stuff that i i sort of grew up with was on the 16-bit consoles and in retrospect a lot of it was very much um the developers for home computers very much trying to create a console like experience on these home computers so um if i look at um sort of a, an early example i remember would be something like uh james pond 2 robocod which uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. which i know did come out on consoles as well uh but it came out on home computers first um and it was very much an attempt to combine elements of mario and sonic together into into uh, a game that also provided its own unique stuff so um the original james pond for those who aren't familiar i've I've actually done an atari st a to z video on this but uh, it was a kind of sort of environmentally friendly action adventure shoot 'em up almost so you, you were underwater you were sort of finding treasures and um sort of plugging up oil spills and that sort of thing at robocod they decided to sort of ditch that environmental angle and just take this character and do something completely different with him um and so uh james pond is a fish uh if i hadn't made that already clear um but in, <laughs> in, in robocod they gave him an armored exoskeleton so he could get out the water and he could run around on his fins and and that sort of thing so um so yeah robocod was a more traditional platformer um it was set in the north pole it was a christmas themed game so you were trying oh. to find the the lost christmas presents um and that sort of thing it, 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 there was something like i think the enemies had invaded santa's toy factory or something like that and you okay. were trying to save them so so can we just pause for a minute and reflect on the fact that you're describing a game in which you portray a sentient cyborg fish on a mission yes. to save Christmas. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Just yes. wanted to make sure I had that straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, okay. That's, okay. Yeah. Proceed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, and this was also sponsored by a popular brand of chocolate biscuit in the United Kingdom. <laughs> of course, it was. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, yeah pe- penguin biscuits uh, were it played a key part of um, of, of uh, Robocod. They were all over the place. A penguin biscuit, if you're not familiar, is basically a a, a sort of chocolate biscuit uh, with a kind of chocolate cream filling, and then the whole thing is covered in milk chocolate. So it's just chocolate on chocolate on chocolate, and it's hmm. a very popular inclusion in um, early '90s uh, children's lunch boxes for school. So everyone knew what a penguin was so sort of seeing them appearing in a computer game was just like wow it's a penguin 
and there was even a sequence where you jump inside a penguin bar and it gives you temporarily invincibility so um but anyway the, the mechanics in robocod there was some quite interesting stuff going on so besides sort of running around and jumping uh one of the things his exoskeleton could do was uh, it could cause him to continually extend until he reaches a ceiling uh, which made for some beautifully ridiculous scenes as as this fish just expanded to like 64 times his normal length uh, <laughs> and t- until he could grab onto the ceiling and then once he grabbed onto the ceiling he could then shimmy across it so that was that was one way of sort of getting across spike pits and so on um so that was quite an interesting mechanic um he could sort of bounce off enemies heads and if you crouched while you were jumping in the air you would do more damage and so there was yeah there was some really interesting mechanics and stuff going on in here uh the levels were um kind of designed in a way that there were a few different routes through them and it was worth exploring them so they they weren't sort of fully open structure by any means but there there were there were optional routes you could go into and you could get more items for for more points and that would get you extra lives and they might lead to secret levels and all sorts so um so yeah i i I have very fond memories of this game i actually never owned the full version of it uh, myself but i did have a demo disc that came on the front cover of st action magazine that i played repeatedly uh, because because i I enjoyed it so much um yeah so so yeah i I, i'm a bit sad that i never experienced the full game for myself but i i I sort of knew it by proxy because i read a lot about it in magazines and and that kind of thing and it was it's one i have very fond memories of i I know that it's 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 maybe not the most fondly remembered game today because some of the later james bond games in particular are a bit crap like the um there's the i think it's called the aquatic games is the is the third one that's not very good at all but robocod is definitely worth a look and if i remember correctly let me just check um i believe it actually just got a re-release on nintendo switch oh really Bizarrely. yeah like I, I i look i just happened to look at yeah here it is um i looked at the uh nintendo eShop randomly recently and um and there it was james pond codename robocards release date 21 21st of march 2019 um and it's yeah it's it's the original game uh but running in widescreen uh it uses the original graphics and music but it's, it's just expanded the display to widescreen instead um yeah so you can still play that today on a modern system oh that's so, cool and so it's not it's not like a virtual console kind of thing it's it's literally just like they've made the game playable on the switch with an exp- like there's, yes it's not yeah yeah it's so, not like so, emulated so, genesis or atari st version it's actually a no it's, 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 it's codified a, it's a, it's a proper switch. port from the look of things so um but but it just happens to be using the original graphics and music assets uh but they've, awesome. they've, they've just made it so that it runs a modern system so yeah so the, the the company behind this port um i think is a company called system three who i didn't know was still around but um they, they used to do a lot of stuff back in the um in the 16-bit era they made stuff like um international karate which is a very early uh one-on-one fighting game uh, there was an action adventure series called the last ninja um that they also did but just recently it seems like they they're getting big into these um these ports of old games because they've they've done a few recently i can't remember what the others are offhand but definitely robocod is the one that stood out to me um so yeah worth 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 a revisit for an idea of what um 16-bit computer developers were trying to do as the idea of the mascot platform was becoming popular in the console space i very much have as a kid recollections of hating james pond um Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i think it's because um you know when i was younger obviously i didn't have the 
mental capacity or perspective or knowledge to really understand different design aesthetics and sensibilities yeah. and yeah. regional differences in design sensibilities. So uh, I, even as a kid, had a fondness for what I now know to be Japanese design. Yes, yes. Um, so I didn't know how to articulate it, but... Mm -hmm. You know, going to the rental store to rent games when I came home with a James Pond or a Wolf Child or uh, any of the games on the Genesis that would have been ported from the the uh, the ST, right? It would have been the ST, the sixteen bit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I knew, like they they felt different. Yes. Like, yes. in terms of their responsiveness, the way the physics worked, the the even the ways I was expected to play. Um, I remember bringing home, I mean, not a mascot platformer, but I remember bringing home Turrican, Mega mm -hmm. Turrican, and just hating it as a kid because I thought yeah. it was going to be like Contra, but it wasn't because it didn't mm -hmm. feel, it didn't feel the physicality of it was different. So, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, as an adult, it's something I really want to go back and explore more of these kind of games. Specifically, I'm interested in uh, Genesis ports of the Atari ST. Yes. Because um, it's really interesting to me. But I just remember disliking these games openly because of the way they felt so different from what mm -hmm. I was used to. Yes. Yes. And they are quite a different feel. So sort of, sort of uh, European-style platformers. Yeah. Um, they tend to be um, a bit sort of floatier than Japanese games. Um, and so sort of the, the sort of speed and arc of your jump will tend to be a bit slower than your typical Mario or Sonic jump. Um, I guess... Think, thinking about it sort of sonic is probably closer to how european platforms handle because sonic has such that strong emphasis on physics as well whereas mm -hmm. mario doesn't really have that so much um but yeah it, it is very much a a distinctive feel to euro platformers and and a distinctive look as well um so sort of the the style of the artwork not just the character design but the style of the backgrounds and stuff as well is 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 very european i'm looking back at these screenshots of, of robocard on the switch now and yeah it's it's instantly recognizable that this isn't a japanese game um so it's it's still got nice pixel art and so on but the 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 style of the graphics is is very different from what you would expect from like a nintendo game of the time for example mm -hmm. um but yeah, 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 you're right. It's it, it is a different feel, and it's it's uh, it's understandable why while you're sort of defining what your what your tastes are uh, in gaming in those in that sort of defining period in in your life with what you decide you like and what you don't like. It's it's understandable that you sort of gravitate towards something and and almost want to repel other stuff. So, um, whereas I knew I knew this stuff first before I knew what Japanese games felt like. So obviously mm -hmm. I, I was a lot more used to this. So um yeah i was i was very receptive to this sort of thing uh but then when i found the console games i i found something that i probably liked a bit more um yeah but i had this this sort of frame of reference i could sort of think about why i like these things more how they handle differently and and all that sort of thing yeah and it was just the opposite with me right yeah <laughs> I, yeah, yeah i was like why don't i why do i like these things less <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. So, so yeah, it was it was certain. It certainly provides an interesting perspective, having come to consoles quite late. So, sort of like I, I had no real contact with the NES apart from um, some friends of my parents. Their daughter had an NES, so like my sole contact with that was when we'd go and visit them, and they they'd send us kids upstairs to go and play the NES while the parents had dinner and drank wine and stuff. So, um, mm. 
Yeah, so sort of a, that was my first encounter with Tetris, and my first encounter with Zelda Two. My first encounter with Super Mario Brothers were all um, on this this girl's NES. So, um, yeah, and I I never had my own one until well after the NES was current. So, and that's the one I've still got on my shelf with the Chill sticker on it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Whenever that appears in your videos, I'm like, oh, it's the Chill Nintendo. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So, so I mean, what what was what were some of your early experiences with these uh, with this kind of game? I mean, uh, for me, I think I didn't really get into it like much on Nintendo. Like in the eight mm-hmm. bit, it was pretty much like Mario or nothing. Yeah, like Mario or Kirby, um, and that was pretty much it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but really when I came into my own with starting to understand and appreciate these kind of games was um, on the Genesis because uh, I was a Sega kid. I didn't, I yeah. didn't have a Super Nintendo till well into my mid twenties. Um, so I think one of the reasons I really like to take a critical eye and when I say critical, eye, I don't mean negative. Just mm-hmm. I like to examine deeply mascot platformers is that um, as someone who appreciates gaming as an art form <coughs> pardon me um i i really like to explore the juxtaposition between the more traditional art elements of gaming i.e design visual uh character concept background artwork and um and i like to compare that to the other art form of games that's unique to gaming in in that it, game design and coding and actual building of the interactive experience and uh to me, 2D mascot platformers have kind of been the, always been the perfect microcosm of uh, what I really am interested in, which is the kind of a, this chicken or the egg relationship between yeah. character design and game design. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, one of my favorite games to talk about is um, uh, Rocket Knight Adventures. Which uh, by Konami, um, yeah, one of my favorite games of all time. I, I mean, as a kid, I would sit down on Saturdays and play play through this like it was a TV show that was on at eleven o'clock every Saturday morning, right? Like it's it's Rocket Knight Adventures time now, um, and Rocket Knight Adventures, the original one at least, is defined by um, you you can hold the button down to charge like Mega Man used to be able to charge his Mega Buster but instead of charging your Mega Buster it charges your rocket pack and then you can actually rocket across the stage based when you release it what direction you're holding the pad in so the levels are kind of built around this um, and there's and linked to that is the fact that you are a possum and you can hang from your tail like a possum does yeah so you're kind of rocketing around these stages with the pack and looking for overhangs and branches and steel beams and whatever whatever you can rocket to the next like uh tail hang point is to kind of navigate these stages Um, some of the bosses are cleverly built around that as well um so in these kind of games, like where my brain goes now as an adult who likes to study design is, okay, so did someone draw Sparky or Sparkster or whatever we want to call him mm-hmm. first as a possum or did someone sit down and say, 
I want to make a game with a rocket pack that's central to it, and I want you to be able to hang from hang points back and yeah. forth. What animal and what character can we make that supports this design philosophy? And mm. these are the questions that really drive me crazy, <laughs> right? Like, like, does did the design philosophy of the game drive the character design? Yeah. Or was the or was the game built around a character that someone drew? Yeah, and the frustrating thing about that is it's, that sort of thing isn't always documented, is it? So, like, no. we, if, if we think of something like Sonic, they we we know from sort of documents and interviews at the time that yes, the reason Sonic is Sonic is because of the way that they designed that game and they wanted a character that could roll up into a ball and so on. But yeah, in the case of something like Rocket Knight Adventures, which isn't anywhere near as well documented, yeah, we have to we have to just conjecture, I guess. Usually, the design. Is what the, the design of the game is what drove drives the design of the character. I find, mm -hmm. but um, it, it's just interesting to me to to parse out this intersection uh, because it's it's fascinating to me that these to think of you know in the instance of Sonic that such an iconic design for a character was built around the need for interactivity in a certain way to suit a programming need. Yeah, and and that's really cool. Because inspiration can come from everywhere from an artistic standpoint. So the, the idea that we need to create uh, a visually impactful, lovable character that needs to suit these parameters. And the fact that people are able to do that successfully is just amazing to me. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I really love Rocket Knight Adventures. Um, I'm not as familiar with the second one, Sparkster. Um, I, know, I didn't have that one growing up. I only had the first one. Yeah. Um, uh, but what I love about Rocket Knight Adventures is um, the, the, the setting. Um, it's kind of this... I, I hesitate to use the term steampunk because it's not. Because steampunk uh, implies a Victorian setting with technology in it. But Rocket Knight Adventures is a is a medieval setting with this, these like steam machines and, and stuff in it. Um, so there's castles, but then like the castles have like steam pipes sticking out of them and stuff. Um, and like, obviously the knights have rocket packs and they wear goggles that they can fly around. Um, there's, there is a shooter stages, a horizontal yeah. shooter stages interspersed in, um, it's just great. <laughs> the enemies have like multi-sprite pieces and extending arms, and uh, uh, there's a tremendous sense of humor uh, just pervading the design throughout the entire game, which I find super charming. Um, it's uh, kind of iconic in the first level. All the enemies are pigs. Like the the whole the enemy empire is the like pig empire. Yeah. And uh, when you hit the enemy pigs. Their armor busts off, and they and they squeal and run around in their underwear for a little while before they disappear. And it just it's so cute and so full of character. Um, and there's just little vignettes. Uh, some of the bosses kind of get introduced with these little animated moments where, uh, you know, like the 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 mad scientist will walk out and like look around, see you, get a little surprise exclamation point above his head, then he'll like <laughs> press a remote, and then his like robot'll drop from the ceiling, but then it'll accidentally drop on him. And it just I just remember growing up with Rocket Knight Adventures really feeling like I was interacting with a Saturday morning cartoon. Be because yeah. of these yeah. moments of distinct character. 
Um, and it's one of the first games that really made me feel that way. Um, using very limited technology, right? There is no text, there's no speech, it's just like little squeals and, like I mentioned, like comic booky, like exclamation point speech bubbles appearing over characters' heads and stuff like that. But, um, I, I felt like these were characters, right? Not just video game sprites, but characters in a narrative I was exploring. Um, and this is a time in my life where I wasn't into role-playing games yet. Yeah. So games like Rocket Knight Adventure that put so much work into the character design and world building were some of the first games I really came to understood that games could also function as a worthwhile world building and storytelling medium. Mm -hmm. So it was very impactful for me. Yeah. Um, another game I really love uh, on the Genesis that I don't think it's nearly enough lip service paid to it is a uh, Sega's uh, Ristar or Ristar. Oh um, yes, yes. There's there's a tremendous amount of debate in the internet world about the correct way to pronounce it. <laughs> um, I, I, I I saw someone who who attempted to make a definitive pronunciation on that a while back, but I I can't remember what the conclusion was. So yeah, yeah I'm, gaming, I'm, I'm still in the dark. <laughs> gaming historian does a really good video on the history of this game and the development of this game so i recommend watching it and he makes an argument for rise star um as a po as a portmanteau of rising star yeah as yeah. one word and and that that makes the most sense to me so right now in a in a previous in a world of having seen that video i i i believe it is rise star <laughs> i think that's i think i think that's right but i've called it Ristar for 30 years <laughs> so, so, so it's very difficult in my brain it's very difficult in my brain to call it rise star so i'm probably just going to keep calling it ristar because that's what i've always called it um but ristar came out very much the tail end of the genesis um and it was kind of sent to die um yeah. which is a shame because it was originally developed with like powerhouse people behind it um uh, you know, Ristar, the character, was designed by the guy who designed Sonic. Like, this yep. was, for all intents and purposes, made by Sega to be a companion to Sonic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Th this, is, this was meant to be their other side-scrolling franchise. And it was just that the timing of the release was poor, and so he never really picked up. Um, but the game, what a game. <laughs> um <laughs> So, uh, you know, going back to what we were just talking about with concept, um, the idea of Ristar came about kind of uh, with uh, as a result of discussions that speed was so important and integral to Sonic, right? That the speed and the physicality and like blazing through those stages and never really looking back. Um, so, Ristar was made as a way to kind of counteract that. Yeah. To make a, m a more thoughtful game that encouraged uh, like a slower paced and more leisurely exploration of the stages. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Rystar doesn't run. He just kind of saunters in like a very pleasant manner. And um, the like, like I said, please watch Gaming Historian's retrospective on it. It's very good. Yes. Um, what I learned from that is that the original design notion that kind of fueled the game plan Rystar was the idea that Rystar himself would be a child and that children are curious and want to touch everything with their hands, mm -hmm. yeah. right? So they wanted to create a character whose primary methodology of interacting with the world around him 
was to reach out and touch things with his hands. So that's how that's how Rystar plays. Um, kind of going back to Robocod, Rystar's arms extend. Yeah. Um, they like they stretch, and he grabs things, and that's how you play the game. So you can reach out and you can grab the environment and pull yourself towards a wall. Um, you grab the enemies and then pull them towards you and bonk them with your forehead, and that's how you take enemies out. There's um. There's kind of pegs that stick out of the background that you can swing from or, or hook onto. And it's all just reach out and grab something. And, and that's how you make your way through this game. Um, it, it, you know, and just aesthetically, it's top, it's a top tier Sega development at its best. Bright colors, characters full of personality, just adorable designs. Um, every level is a different planet, which kind of leads you through. Um, you know, it's it's a perfectly good excuse for every level to have a different theme, and it's all yeah. the classic stuff, yeah. right? Like first level is the green, beautiful forest area. Then there's a water one, or an ice one, and a desert area. And, but um, each act, there's a kind of mimics Sonic's two act, then boss structure mm -hmm. um, has a slightly different visual uh, visual cue to it or, or a theme to it, but, uh, moving away from the first one. So there's there's a feel of kind of making your way through these environments and, and, and kind of seeing how they change as you make your way through them and explore them. Um, I just, I have really, really fond memories of this game. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, honestly, he's been, and he's been relegated to cameos, right? Like I think he's the flag boy in Sonic yes. and All-Stars yes. Racing Transformed. Yes, he is. <laughs> uh, poor fella. But at least Sega are still acknowledging him in some degree. It's, it's, it, he could have been completely killed off, but it, at least he is still being vaguely acknowledged. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, not, not a game I've played a great deal of. I've played a bit of it on the various Mega Drive collections from over the years. Sure. But, uh, I haven't played that, it. That's the good news about it, right? Yeah. It is accessible. It is it's widely on, available. It's on every, every Sega collection that's come out. I think there's a Steam version. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's it's... Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's on the most recent ones for PS4 and Xbox One as well. So, and yeah. and Switch now as well. That one's on, isn't it? Cool. All right. Um, the the other main one I wanted to mention again from sort of sort of the early days, I guess, would be uh, Commander Keen. So this is oh, of course. A, this is again um, sort of switching perspective from console games back to computer games again. So uh, Commander Keen actually has a, a really interesting history behind it. Um, so for, for those who aren't aware, this was uh, an early project by id Software, who would go on to make Wolfenstein 3D and Doom and Quake and all that lot. Um, and it was originally developed um, while uh, John Carmack from who would later uh, be a co-founder of id software while he was working at a um a video game subscription service and disc magazine called soft disc um and so he was he was sort of constantly churning out stuff for this thing on a on a monthly basis and experimenting with different things that he might be able to implement in various ways and um commander keen came about as the result of him creating an engine that could scroll graphics in any direction um, now that might not sound like a big deal, but um, in terms of early MS-DOS computers, IBM compatible PCs and so on, this was a massive deal because they didn't have any sort of built-in graphical hardware to handle things like scrolling and sprites and all that sort of thing. Everything had to be done through programming the computer, giving the computer direct instructions. So um, 
getting something that was sort of approaching what a console could do on an IBM compatible PC was a big deal. So um, his intention was to kind of recreate the sort of thing that could be done on the NES at the time. Um, and uh, in fact, the, the first demonstration of this system, uh, of this engine that he developed, um, the first thing he made with it was a recreation of the first level of Super Mario Brothers 3. <laughs> mm. um, and in fact um, one of the first things they tried to do with this engine before it became Commander Keen was that they actually approached Nintendo um, and asked them if they could do uh, a PC port of Mario oh uh, yes I remember reading about that yeah Nintendo said no of course um, but the I mean the the, the 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 potential for this engine was obvious so so while they while they weren't able to jump on board with Nintendo and use an established character like Mario there was obviously a lot of potential in this um, this this engine that he created so um, they continued to work on it kind of while they were off the clock from soft disk they they take their computers home from soft disk and they could they'd continue working on this game so romero had sort of recruited some other people from his team at this point who all thought that the idea was kind of too good for their day job um mm. and and um they ultimately ended up being approached by um scott miller of apogee software who was just sort of starting to define the concept of shareware at the time so his early releases were, were just just sort of starting to get people familiar with the idea of getting a chunk of game for free and then being able to buy the rest of the game to, to register the game and get the rest of the game but there was for those unfamiliar with shareware the the difference between shareware and just a demo version is that the shareware version of something would be a complete game in its own right so it, it would tend to be called a single episode of a game but it, it would stand by itself as a complete game and if you registered it you paid like your 20 or 30 dollars or whatever you'd get maybe two or three more episodes of that game so you get more game you get, which would have additional graphics additional sound additional story um and so on so um, Scott Miller thought that uh, that what they were working on here would be a, a, a good a good fit for the shareware model because you could just sort of do packs of levels and so on. Um, he suggested they created a, a platformer in the style of Super Mario Brothers because that was not something we really had on home computers at the time. We had platform games, but most of them tended to be of the sort of single screen arcade style mold. So a lot of early PC games would follow. A similar kind of format to stuff like bubble bubble and that kind of thing oh, so sure they, they'd all be about sort of you have a single screen with some platforms on uh and you'd, you'd either have to get somewhere like in donkey kong or you'd have to kill everything like in bubble bubble or you'd have to collect everything um and so the idea that we could now have scrolling levels in these computer games really opened up the possibilities for them to do different things um and commander keen was the results so um it was originally intended to just be basically a Mario clone, but over time, they gradually started implementing more um, yeah, more elements into it. So, so rather than jumping on enemies in it, you have uh, you have a ray gun that you could shoot. Um, <laughs> apparently, according to what I've read on it, uh, they made a point of leaving dead enemies' uh, corpses on the floor uh because <laughs> because tom hall from the 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 development team uh believed that child players should be taught that death had permanent consequences what um and shadows of things to come right for them that's kind of yeah, crazy yeah definitely um and uh supposedly uh supposedly a lot of the enemies were based on um freud's psychological theories such as the id you know hmm. um 
you see where that comes from now so so yeah there's there's all sorts of all sorts of interesting influences on this game uh obviously there's a lot of super mario brothers in there they they put in a lot of secret areas and optional areas and warping areas and hidden levels and that sort of thing um there was a whole galactic alphabet in this which was um a written language that they developed for the game it was just a straight uh substitution code uh basically right, right. They, they it's still cool though yeah um and um yeah the the galactic alphabet has actually shown up in in a bunch of other games since then so like it's the galactic alphabet from commander keen is the uh the runic language that minecraft uses for its magic oh that's um, awesome and um yeah, in in a spectacular piece of lore retrofitting, uh, both John Romero and Tom Hall have stated that the main character Commander Keen is the grandson of Wolfenstein's original protagonist B.J. Blazkowicz and the of father of Doom Guy from Doom. Oh, naturally. <laughs> so of course, so of course, it's all connected. It's all connected. I love it. I love um, that but yeah, stuff. yeah, Commander Keen is is a really cool game. So um, it, it it has its its limitations from its time period. So it's um. It unfolds in EGA graphics, uh, which is the the sixteen color uh, graphics mode of early MS DOS PCs. So, and that had a very small palette of colors to draw from. So, it could be I remember six- there being a lot of pink. Yes, in Commander Keen. It, 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 well, it wasn't just pink. The the trouble neon with e- green too. Yeah, the trouble with EGA is that. It was 16 colors from a palette of not very much more than that. Uh, I forget the exact numbers, but it was it was something like uh, 16 colors from a palette of less than 100, certainly. Um, here we are. I'll see if I can... Oh, it doesn't actually say it. Yeah, never mind. Uh, oh, uh, 16 from a palette of 64. There we go. So they didn't have many colors to choose from in the first place, and they could only display 16 of them, which meant that sort of a lot of uh, flesh tones in particular tended to suffer. So like EGA flesh tones tended to be either pale white albino, which is what they went for in Commander Keen, or um, you've been standing too close to the sun, burnt out bright orange. (laughs) I remember a lot of that as well. Yeah, so um, so I, I mean that gave it a very distinctive look that was very much of its time. But they they kind they kind of they did that thing where they work within the limitations of the time. So they managed to make good use of of uh, techniques like dithering and sort of uh, contrasting tones and all sorts of things like that. And in the process, even despite the limitations in the color palette, they managed to make something that was visually distinct, uh, immediately recognizable, and that had plenty of variety as you worked your way through it as well. And um, and mechanically, it's really fun as well. So, um, as I say, they it started as a Mario claim, but they deliberately tried to add additional elements on top of that. Uh, so you got the you got the shooting of the ray gun. You got this pogo stick that you can bounce on things. You can bounce on enemy heads with that, but it doesn't kill them. It just allows you to use them as platforms. Um, there's various collectible objects. There's like an overworld map uh, that you can explore, so you can sort of tackle the levels in whatever order you want to. Yeah, there's really a lot to like in Commander Keen, and it's um, something that's still very fondly regarded today, and still available via Steam. I think uh, that version runs through DOSBox, uh, and I think you might also be able to get hold of it as part of the 3D Realms collection. Um, mm. I think it's in there, certainly. So, so, so yeah, so even though it's an old DOS game, it's still um, perfectly feasible to run it on modern systems as well, and it is well worth playing as well. So. That was definitely a, definitely a favourite growing up, and uh, sort of a, yeah. a, another another kind of defining influence, and another example of Western developers very much trying to um, emulate the console thing, but ending up kind of producing their own thing in the process. 
And there's the whole thing too with uh, Great Gianna Sisters. Like, are you familiar with the history of the Great Great Gianna Sisters? I know of it, but I, I don't know the details. So if you know a bit more about that, then feel free to. I, I mean, I, I don't know the historical details to the exact letter, but it's been written about thoroughly out there, and it's worth researching. But I mean, mm-hmm. essentially, it was also in the same vein was a, an attempt to make Mario. Yes, you know the the company, the people who made Great Gianna Sisters had made Mario, like a mm-hmm. Mario demo, basically for the PC. And Nintendo was like, "Nope." Um, <laughs> so they were like, "Oh, fine, we'll we'll just make it about Italian sisters instead." And then they made their own side scroller, and kind of that ran on you know on the home PC for a long time. And yeah, people played those games for a while, um, yeah. and then recently it kind of got a, the revival with Twisted Dreams, and that game is great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the thing with the original Gianna Sisters is they they didn't even try and make it not look like Mario. It just, no, it's Mario. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> it, it just it just looked like Mario. Like it's got similar enemies. It's got blocks that you headbutt to get coins out of. Yeah, it's that got those, like bricks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's got those brick blocks in the background. It's got like the little hills in the background. The 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 same blue sky that you've got in Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, it's it's uh, uncanny, uncanny how similar it is. Uh, and it has yeah. it has gloriously gloriously late eighties cover art as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. There's a whole whole lot of great discussions that can be had about um, the, you know the the piece specifically that era of PC games trying mm-hmm. to emulate like console like console favorites. Yeah. Um, I had I had a friend who lived down the street from me that I used to spend a lot of time with when I was young who was um his family was big into computers so like i would go into his go to his house and we would whip out you know like just shipping boxes full of three and a half floppies loaded with shareware yeah yeah and we would just we would just play these games for hours and hours so like i i also have fond memories of like commander keen and the original um the original Duke Nukem, yes, not yes. not Duke Nukem 3D, the side-scrolling. We wish we were Contra Duke Nukem. Yes, <laughs> um, yeah, just cool, great, great stuff. And uh, you know, as I had kind of mentioned when I, you know, when we kind of introduced our discussion about this, I think there's too much cynical ways of thinking about the Me Too nature of mm-hmm. some of these games. Yeah. Um, just because they were attempting to emulate kind of the design philosophies or the success of of these other titles that may have come before and been successful doesn't mean they're not worth investigating or evaluating on their own merits. Oh, no, like there's a lot there's there's always something unique or interesting going on. Um, you know, a lot of innovation can come from attempting to mimic something not quite being able to do it then what workarounds can you kind of think of and then those workarounds end up becoming defining features yeah yeah so i i love kind of having these discussions about these other games uh in a similar effect um a game i wanted to ask you if you had any experience with was uh, zool have you ever played zool I, again, Zool is a game that I had a demo of that I played quite a bit, but I never had the full version of it. Um, I ask because it is of your world. It, yes. it is. It is a. It is from your from your land, and yeah. it was an attempt to make kind of a faster paced Sonic style game. Yes, and again, on the Amiga. Yes, and it was also also another game that was sponsored by a piece of confectionery. Uh, in this case, it was Chupa Chups lollipops. 
Yes. <laughs> so, so they appear all over the place in that. Yeah, so uh, I don't have a ton of experience with Zool, and um, it, it's one of those games that, again, is kind of sort of looked back on and mocked a bit recently. But I remember it being quite well received at the time uh, for its speed. It had it had very nice graphics. Um, a good example of, um, if I remember correctly, an ST version being fairly similar to the Amiga version graphically as well, which was relatively mm. rare because the Amiga had it was much more powerful in terms of graphics and sound than the ST was um and so it was, it was always a big deal and a real pleasure when um games managed to kind of have sort of rough parity between them without the amiga version being dumbed down or anything like that so mm-hmm. um but yeah yeah so not a game i have a ton of experience with but i again i played a demo of it a fair bit back in the day um and again i remember some sort of fairly effusive praise in in the magazines of the time um for, just for just for the fact it was providing that kind of authentic console experience on the computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just remember renting it as a kid, right, for yeah. the Genesis. But, like, this was in the 90s, right? So it was in, like, the heyday of Ninja Fever. So I was just like, yeah. ah, Ninja! So, like, I had to, I had to play it. But, uh, you know, I don't remember loving it. But there's just something about the design of the character specifically... Like his like green limbs and his like his big yellow eyes yeah. that like I always think back on. Yeah, it's it's something I've always wanted to get back and try to play. Yeah, he's uh, he's not an ant. Did you ever think he was an ant? No, he's a gremlin. Yeah, no. A- a- everyone over here always thought he was an ant for some reason, but no, he's he's. he's oh, is it because of like this like the black? Like the round black body pieces from yeah, his ninja I, costume? I, I, I think so, yeah. But but no, if you look at his design, I mean, yeah, he's obviously not an ant, is he? He's got like gremlin pointy ears sticking out of him. Um, yeah, because yeah. He's, he's the mascot of the company. The company is Gremlin. That made... Yes, that I, d- made- I, I, I don't... I don't know if he was actually intended to be their mascot because Gremlin was around a long time before uh, Zool came out and they didn't really have a mascot. Um... They, well, I mean, but they have a logo that is a gremlin. Yes, and yes. he and he is meant to be the, a gremlin in a ninja suit. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't mean he. Zool is meant to be their mascot, but like, oh, Zool I see. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Zool is their mascot in a ninja suit. Yes, 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 definitely. But um, yeah, so not not an end. Remember that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So if someone ever comes up to you and asks you about Zool, Ninja of the Nth Dimension from 1992, and whether or not he's an ant, you now know, mm. and that information could save your life someday. It could. It absolutely. Or could. it may come up on a game show that you're on. <laughs> it, it will never. It will never come up ever. No one, <laughs> no one. No one will ever ask you about Zool or expect you to talk about Zool again after today. Almost certainly not. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, we've um, we've had a fairly lengthy discussion there. Um, there's obviously a lot more we can talk about 2D mascot platformers because we we've mostly touched on sort of the early days of things there, particularly what I've talked yeah. about. So there's, I think this is probably a topic that we'll we'll have to revisit at some point, particularly with yeah. um, like sort of modern indie games in mind and how they've approached this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd think- be really interested to come back to talk mm. to talk more specifically about the 32-bit era because I have a lot of interest. There's a lot of interesting games on the Saturn and the PS1. Yes, definitely, definitely. I th- I think that's uh, that's probably a good place to call it for today. Though. Do you agree? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Let's call that a day there for now. Then. Um, so, as usual, would you like to tell people where to find you online? 
Sure. Uh, I'm always posting my new artwork at uh, MrGilderPixels.com or uh, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at MrGilderPixels, M-R-G-I-L-D-E-R-P-I-X-E-L-S. I'm just finishing up another painting this weekend that I should have posting later this week, so keep an eye out. Good stuff. And you can find me on MoeGamer.net and on YouTube. And this podcast is also on SoundCloud. So if you're watching on YouTube, there's also an audio-only version you can download on SoundCloud. If you're listening on SoundCloud, it's also a video version you can watch on YouTube. Uh, My YouTube channel also has a selection of different things. It's got some Let's Plays of uh, various games, including Atari games. Uh, All of the Atari A to Z videos I make are also archived on atariatoz.wordpress.com as well. So check that out if you want to see what I've covered to date. All right, just remains for us to say thank you very much for watching and or listening, and we will see you again next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games, new and old, every weekday. Every month, Moegamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favourite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.